Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hello everybody and welcome to the Greatest Games podcast on the Blizzard. My name is Marcus Speller, with me is Jonathan Wilson and with us today is Nick Miller, writer for The Athletic and editor of the Totally Football Yearbook. Nick, pleasure to have you on the pod. Pleasure to be on, thank you very much. Today we go back to the European Cup semi-final second leg in 1979 that finished FC Köln 0, Nottingham Forest 1. Nick, why have you chosen this game? Well, um, as a Nottingham Forest supporter, I need the sort of comfort of nostalgia um, and, you know, only seems right when I'm on um, a podcast with Brian Clough's biographer to uh, choose one of his most glorious games. Um, The two European Cup finals weren't sort of particularly good or interesting games and, you know, a lot's been said about them. So, um, but this... This one, I mean, the the, the second leg, but the, the tie as a whole were, was kind of much more tense and exciting. So mm-hmm. that's why I picked those two. The, the a, f- one. a fine choice. And uh, as you say, yeah, Jonathan, a uh, little plug, has uh, written a, a biography about Brian Clough. So you must be delighted with this choice as well, Jonathan. Absolutely, yes. It's called <laughs> Nobody Ever Says Thank You, if, if people haven't yet bought it. Uh, <laughs> and and it's, it's very long, I will say, for it. <laughs> detailed, Jonathan, detailed. Yeah, it, it is detailed. Um, yeah. Well, I actually... I read back the chapter this morning for this, mm-hmm. and maybe I shouldn't say this, but my feeling with that book is that it's too long, that I should have had less detail. <laughs> uh, but what I, what I wanted to do was, and it was so two things. So, so one, and I found this when I did the detailed books on United and Liverpool as well, the tendency is to think of, of, of that period of Forest history as being you know, huge success, and it's all, everything's golden, and... There's this sort of sense of euphoria all the time. But actually going through the Nottingham Evening Post, uh, and, and it is Nottingham Evening Post. Have I got that right? That's the local paper, yeah. Um, uh, you you realise actually there's a huge amount of friction all the time. Mm. And that's not just a club. I mean, it's obviously it's partly a club thing. But there's also it's also true of Busby. It's also true of Shankly. That there's loads of doubts. There's loads of little minor incidents um, and it, it, I wanted to sort of get across. This is actually exhausting for everybody. Mm. It's it, it's not just this golden period. It, it is tough. Uh, and the other thing, I, the, and I think Clough himself talks about this, uh, you know, sort of a decade on, that he clearly gets worn down by just how many games there are. That he feels you can't celebrate because you got another game three or four days later. And so he's constantly trying to justify his drinking. But, oh, if I don't drink now, when will I drink? Yeah, we've just beaten Luton 1-0, so I've got to get pissed. Because <laughs> on Wednesday, we're playing Oldham, or, or whatever mm-hmm. happens to be. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to sort of get across that relentless nature that football has. I think even the, the greats, it kind of breaks. And I think that's one of the things that broke Clough. Um, so, unfortunately, I feel readers at the end of the book will, <laughs> will, will feel exhausted and broken by it. But that's deliberate. Yeah. That's the art of it. 
<laughs> yeah, you've tried to, you know, capture that spirit of uh, sort of exhaustion and so on. Yeah, and, and, and I think it's also why David Peace does it in the Shankly book in, in Red or Dead. The, um, yeah, that, that very repetitive style of, uh, yeah, and, and, and on whatever the date is, Liverpool played Everton Football, Liverpool Football Club played Everton Football Club and won 2-0 and the two goals were scored by Innocent John. And then on whatever day they played Sheffield Wednesday Football Club, and because mm-hmm. and that is what football's like. And it, when you've been in it, I mean, I've been the journalist now for what twenty-two years, and it, obviously COVID's actually given us all a break. But that relentless churn of mm. yeah, in a week going yeah, Manchester, Liverpool, Birmingham, Newcastle, London, just constantly sort of spinning around, and I, I, I sort of, I, I. I you're writing that book. I got a sense of, of one of the things that Warcloft down, and just why he was so sort of um, fractious and broken by the end. The other, I mean, the other thing about the, the book is that there's so perhaps more than any other kind of figure in the in sort of modern-ish English football. There are so many sort of myths and half truths and stories about Clough that people repeat because they kind of want to believe them. And I, th- I think we sort of needed a book like this to kind of to just look at some of you know look at actually what happened and whether some of those stories were true and there were you know there are a few in there that um that Clough talked about a lot which uh, you sort of looked at and said well actually that didn't happen yeah and um, a lot of the, a lot I mean I feel we're talking about the book now rather than the uh, the game <laughs> but that's fine I'm all in favor of that um but I, I think a lot of those examples are quite telling so there's the the um, his his mother's death is clearly a huge, huge moment. I mean, it's obviously a huge moment in anybody's life, but he was very, very close to his mother, and uh, he always said it happened on the night that they lost to Juventus. Uh, Derby lost to Juventus in the European Cup uh, semi final, and it didn't. It happened the night they beat Spartak Tanabo in the in the quarter final. And now I, I don't think, you know, he's not lying. He's not making that up. He's just conflated the two events. But I, I think they're significant because I, 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 you know, one of my arguments in the book is he felt really guilty and really ashamed of having failed as 11 plus. He was a you know, huge family. I think nine brothers and two sisters or something. And I think it was only him and one other failed their 11 plus. And he felt he'd let his mother down. And his way of making that up was to win medals. And so there's the, I mean, this is sort of, uh, I think it must be early 90s when he sort of, he's talking about, I guess, his grandkids getting their A-levels. And he's going, yes, but I've got two European Cups and they're my A-levels. <laughs> but not really. They're actually a lot more significant than A-levels. But he, he's somehow equating them. And so I think the reason the European Cup becomes a quest for him, mm-hmm. and he, you know, I, I do drag it back to the game, the reason it is so significant to him is that I, I think when, as he sees it, he's cheated by Juventus. And from his point of view, that has prevented him delivering to his mother before she dies the, the, the ultimate prize. That, yeah, that's why he's so desperate. And I think that even explains why he goes to Leeds. Because Derby obviously weren't in the European Cup in 74-5. Um, but Leeds were. And so he can immediately have another crack at the European Cup and he can try and win this prize for his mother, who's just died. Um, and any logic would have said, don't take that job. It's not the right job for you. 
Yeah, this is an a, quite apart from anything else and all the friction between him and Revy and certain players. It's an old side. It needs ripping apart and starting again. Revy couldn't face doing it. So why are you going to do it when they all hate you anyway? Um, but I, and maybe it was just his ego. He thought, well, I, you know, I can do anything. Um, but I, I think that may be the, the underlying impetus that, that he sort of thinks, right, I want to win it now and, mm-hmm. and, and um, you know, get straight in there and, and, and win this for my mother. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, I mean, actually, again, this, this links us into this season because he takes an astonishing risk at the beginning of the season. That the sale of Peter With is a ludicrous thing to do. It, ma- it makes no sense at all. So they win the title with Peter With being a, an integral part of the side. And the start of the season, he sells them for a quarter of a million to Newcastle, which leaves them with two forwards Steve Elliott, who, with the best one in the world, nobody's heard of today, and Gary Burles. He was a child, or a child, a, a kid who hasn't played. Yeah, he's probably what? 19, he played one game 20, for them? 20 years old. He, he was yeah. a, yeah, he was a, they signed him from semi-professional football and he was a carpet fitter, I think. Before. That's right, yeah, yeah. Um, they had, I mean, they had That was in 1976 they signed Bertles, I think. Yeah, was. but he's young. Right? So he has, he, I think he's played one game and he, he yeah. his second game he against Arsenal, his mm. third game is a 2-0 win over Liverpool in the European Cup. Yeah. When yeah. he scores one and sets one up. Yeah, but Clough knows a player when he sees one, though. Well, in those days, he did, but it just sort of we, felt like he could do... And I I think this is the amazing thing about him at this point, that almost everything he does comes off. Yeah, I mean, Nick, it is quite remarkable. You're obviously a Forest fan, and this is the most successful period in the club's history. It was the first time they won the top flight. And and a first and only time they've won the top flight was, of course, against Clough in the previous season to this one. They go on, you know, back-to-back European Cups. Um but it, but this season itself didn't start brilliantly. It was what, six draws from their opening seven matches. They did go on to break um, the record for consecutive league matches unbeaten, previously held by Don Revy's Leeds, which would have pleased Clough no end, uh, I'm sure. But but in those days, it was um, it was a very different footballing landscape, of course, because Forrest came up and 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 won the first the old first division at, at the first time of asking. So when they start the season not in brilliant fashion, one might have not thought they would go on to win the European Cup. Well, I mean, no, and particularly then, you know, Liverpool were obviously the sort of dominant force and um, they were kind of sort of, I think, slightly punch drunk at this sort of, as they saw it, upstart club. Well, I mean, that were really a kind of upstart club who'd come up and, and taken their title. And um, they, you know, they, they won the league quite handily that that year. Um, but when Forest were drawn against them in the the first round of the European Cup, there was a sort of, um, I mean, there was a sense of disappointment w- w- at Forest. I think partly because you know that thing we all, we always say when two English teams, it doesn't feel like a European game. They were you know looking forward to going to, you know, Munich or Milan or whatever it was. And as it was, they just they were playing the the team that they uh, you know played twice a year anyway. But also Liverpool were just kind of they, they, it's like they took it personally. Um, they they the Forest had beaten them, and to, sort of to this day, uh, well, less perhaps in a sort of minor way, Liverpool still have uh, occasionally sing songs about you know Forest being rivals, despite the fact that Forest haven't been in any way relevant for you know to Liverpool anyway for the better part of you know twenty five years. Um, there's a story that uh, John O'Hare. 
um this is sort of this is a sort of reserve you know uh, attacker slash sort of utility player in this team years and years later he was doing some scouting for uh i think Leicester or or someone and he showed up at Anfield and he said you know my name's John O'Hare and the parking attendant told him to fuck off we don't like you here <laughs> And he, was, I mean, he'd also been in the Derby team that nicked the title off Liverpool under Clough. Yeah, but he... But it, what it, a this, feather in your cap, though. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but it, it's, it's just kind of it's kind of remarkable how um, how long that mm. sort of antipathy towards Forrest continued. Um, you know, that Forrest finished third or fourth a few times following the, the, this kind of real glory period, but they weren't really sort of serious challenges to to Liverpool's dominance in the in the 80s but uh, this this these couple of seasons had such a sort of huge impact on them yeah i mean bertels himself years later in an interview said that looking at a couple of the kind of big banners and flags waved in the cop end at anfield he said he always looks at it and sees the European Cup wins 77, 78, 81. And he goes, ah, oh, a couple of gaps there. That's good of us, you know, <laughs> which, is, which, is, which is quite enjoyable. But Jonathan, this is not in Forest side. Uh, at, at, the, at the time, I believe I'm right in saying that they were often described as like this ragtag bunch of um, players or mercenaries almost, or perhaps that's not Why the right word. Why don't they mercenaries? I think, they, Sorry, I mean, yeah. I think ragtag is, is sort of the the right term because I mean, yeah. they, they, they've been plucked from all over the place. The Bertels... You know, a, a carpet fitter with literally no yeah. pedigree. Um, long, eaten, if, long eaten United. I mean, have you heard of them? I mean, only through Gary Burton. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, he, yeah, who in the end of his first season ended up winning the European Cup. But even something mm. like John Robertson has been widely written off by other people. And, uh, you know, he, he doesn't look like a footballer. He doesn't act like a footballer. He doesn't uh, train like a footballer. He doesn't eat or drink like a footballer. But at, at that point, Clough and Taylor had this um, pretty much infallible neck of working out exactly what they needed mm-hmm. and um, putting all the parts together. And yes, this is one of the things that sort of doing the book I found quite difficult about Clough because he's so scathing about tactical discussions and so scathing about coaching courses and things. And it, you know, your tactics don't matter. Well, they clearly do because you spend ages kind of <laughs> going out and getting the right player and you know exactly how to fit them together. So what is that if that's not tactics? And there's a story. Um, so the, the, the first round, they, they draw Liverpool, of course, are European champions, which is why there's the two English teams uh, in the competition uh, that season. They win 2-0 at home. Uh, and, and yeah, Liverpool, so I admit, they, they, they got suckered into to trying to find an equaliser when they didn't really need to. They were sort of, it's Forest, therefore we need to get at least a draw as if it was a league game. Uh, whereas, you know, against a, a foreign opponent, they might have thought, well, 1-0 away, that's fine. We'll, we'll win it back at Anfield. So Forrest go to Anfield and Clough's all this thing about our oh, tactics, nonsense, blah, blah, blah. And then as they're going out the dressing room, he takes Archie Gemmell aside and says, imagine you're right back today. And that's all he says to him <laughs> because he, you know, he, he, he wants to double up on the right-hand side against like, Callahan, would it have been on the left of Liverpool then? Whoever it was on the left of Liverpool. Well, again, what's that but tactics? And yeah, you know, they they hold Liverpool at arm's length, and which they're very good at. I mean, I think that's something that happens midway through that first season up. The the, the first half of the season, they're they're quite open, they they they're quite fluent. There's a game when around about Christmas when they they beat 
United 4-0 or 4-1 at Old Trafford? 4-0, it was 4-0, 4-0 and it could have been about 8 that okay. game. Yeah. And then there's a there's an interview with Peter Taylor after that where where you know he says to you know the, the uh, whoever's interviewing, well, don't think you're going to see that again. And they just they shut up shop and play for nil nils and one nils, and they're very good at it. Mm-hmm. And that I think is really sort of stands them in good stead for the European campaign. Although this Köln game nearly goes pretty badly wrong well, pretty I, early. I, yeah, because they they score a few goals in the European Cup on their on their way to the final. I mean, was it AK Athens? Was it seven two on aggregate? And 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 then Grasshopper in the uh, Grasshoppers in the quarterfinal five two on. But aggregate, I mean that I that's, um, the the Ike game they. Um, they they win two one away and then they just sort of pick them off on the break at home, don't they? It's mm-hmm. it, it's one of those kind of five one wins where, well, yeah, it is five one, but it's not like it was sort of seventy percent possession camped in their half five one. But I mean, but that game, the game in Athens, um, there you, you sort of Clough's ability to or willingness to pick fights. You have the famous I mean, he and Larry Lloyd basically didn't speak to each other for two or three months after that game because they they the get the day after the morning after the the game they they're in the hotel there. They go into the airport, and they 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 get down to the to the bus, and Clough realizes everybody's wearing their club blazers apart from him, and Larry Lloyd. So he goes off and gets changed, comes down and bollocks Lloyd for not being smart enough, <laughs> and tells him to go off and get changed. And Lloyd refuses because he knows his blazers in the bottom of this case and can't be bothered. So, so, but I mean, then the story gets gets more ludicrous. That um, he 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 wants to fight you. Know, he gives him an envelope. Uh, with the, with the details of his fine, which I think was a hundred pounds, and Lloyd starts to complain, and Clough says, "Well, I'll fine you fifty pounds more for every word you say." <laughs> so Lloyd goes, "Make it five hundred. and they sort of storm off. Lloyd then comes to apologise to him the next week, and Clough's gone on holiday to Spain and not told anybody. <laughs> so while he's away, Lloyd pays the fine, but they, yeah, they, they, there's a long period of friction between Clough and you know his his dominant centre back. Yeah. He uh, Lloyd was really interesting because he was he was that sort of classic um, tough guy character. Actually, apparently, really sort of craved uh, praise from you know a father figure. So Clough used to do this thing, like the, the okay gesture, where he put uh, the the his thumb and his middle finger together, and if someone did something good on the pitch, he'd do that, and that would be his that that would be the kind of the ultimate approval. This was the you know the king bestowing his. Um, you know his approval on you, and he never did that to Larry Lloyd because he knew that Lloyd just sort of craved it so much that he would try and try and try again. And the more he saw, I don't, I don't know whether he gave it, um, you know, gave that symbol uh, excessively to Kenny Burns, uh, his centre back partner, but he would do do it very very deliberately to other players, but never to Larry Lloyd. Poor old Larry. All right, chaps, uh, let's have a quick break, and then we'll talk about the match itself. See you in a moment, everybody. Welcome back to the greatest games on the Blizzard. Um, yeah, uh, one man we haven't spoken about. Uh, well, you, you mentioned him earlier. Um, Jonathan was uh, was was John Robertson, a, a crucial player. And it was funny when you say about it being a long season. Just having a look at the uh, the c- kind of uh, amount of appearances and and so on. Just to, to, to back that up, he played sixty three games that season. In a in a in a, in an era of of very heavy pitches, strong tackles, not much nutrition uh, with regards to diets and so on. Well, particularly it, not for him. <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely, yeah. And and Peter Shilton also had sixty three uh, appearances. Well, I mean, they, uh, they won the League Cup, didn't they? So and that's one of the reasons for that. So they they win the League yeah. Cup and the and the European Cup. So that's two long runs. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think two or three 
FA Cup games. So yeah, that, that, but yeah, you're, you're, you're right. It's it's a phenomenal uh, shift that he's he's put in, and and I mean, Clough said about John Robertson. I, I just have to squeeze this quote in. John Robertson was a very unattractive man. If one day I felt a bit off colour, I would sit next to him. I was bloody Errol Flynn in comparison. But give him a ball and a yard of grass, and he was an artist, the Picasso of our game. Now, Nick, for a for a player who really wasn't doing much until Clough came along. It's a rare piece of high praise from, from Clough himself, but how important was Robertson to this time? Well, he was the... I mean, everyone who is in that team will describe him as a genius. And, it, you know, it, it was this was all before my time, so I have to rely on these kind of testimonies. But, I mean, he was. He, he was a genius over about five yards. He was... Um, Left wing, I think possibly one of the reasons that he was um, able to you know, sustain that that amount of um, that amount of games in the season. I think he was ex- exactly a workhorse. He would um, be, you know, he would conserve his energy. I think just for the v- real sort of crucial parts, but he would get the ball, and he, did, he was one of those kind of old wingers who'd do the same thing every time. Basically, he would just sort of lure the defender in and then shift it to his left or, or right foot and. Um, you know, produce these incredible crosses and incredible moments of inspiration. And I think uh, certainly a couple of the that team that I've spoken to have said that while Cliff was Cliff was the genius that sort of knitted everything together, they wouldn't have won anything without John Robertson in the team. Um, mm-hmm. He scored the goal, the of course scored the winning goal in the 1980 European Cup final. He uh, set up the goal in the 79 final. He um, you know, scored some massive goals, including the first leg of this tie. Then he sort of set up the the uh, winning goal in the the second leg as well, which we'll go on to talk about later. But yeah, it, it, he he was, um, you know, he he was a, a phenomenal uh, creative player that that sort of symbolised everything that Clough did. He was sort of on on the verge, certainly being sold, possibly even of I think giving up football entirely when Clough arrived. He was just this a sort of overweight, no hoper of a mid central midfielder, I think. Mm. And then Clough and Taylor turned him into this genius left winger. Yeah. But I mean they needed to set up a team around him, right? So the yeah. so the left back would always be a very defensive left back, so be that Frank Clark or Frank Gray, or I mean Frank Gray did get forward a bit more, I guess. Or Ian Bowie played quite a lot at left back. Colin Barrett as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then on the other side, you'd have either O'Neill or, or Archie Gemmell tucking in as quite a narrow right-sided player and width was offered on the right from Viv Anderson overlapping. So again, there's this idea that Clough didn't do tactics. It's nonsense. <laughs> the team's incredibly well-balanced. Yeah. And that, that sort of feeds into the mythology thing as well because the, the, the players are of that era are very keen to uh, emphasise the sort of mythology of Clough didn't do tactics. Like there's, a, there's an interview with Kenny Burns, I think, where it, he, he said one day he asked about free kicks and what do we do at free kicks? And Clough said, well, shoot. And they said, well, what about indirect free kicks? And he goes, pass it sideways and then shoot. <laughs> and which is, you know... He he clearly didn't do you know build these kind of hundred page dossiers like Don Revy did at Leeds, but as Jonathan says, there was a clearly more thought and more sort of nuance went into it than he or kind of most of the team wanted to let on. And there's also yeah when, when yeah, he meets Taylor when they're both players at, at Middlesbrough, and they're sort of there and they're seen as being a little bit odd because they just want to talk about football all the time. And there's these stories of taking long walks around and around Albert Park 
which is where Clough statue now is, yeah, for hours upon hours. And you know, after Clough marries, Taylor would come round and, and would spend hours with him or, or you know, Clough would go to Taylor's house. What are they talking about if they're not talking about, to an extent, tactics and how, how players fit together? They can't just be going, well, he's good, he's not good, he's good, he's mm-hmm. not good. The conversation has to be about more than that. So if they're talking about how you build a team, which we're told is, is, is the basis of them working together first at Hartlepool's and then, then later, they must be talking about tactics. It's the only thing they can be talking about, even if they didn't call it that, even if they didn't have grand philosophical terms, even if they weren't you know, drawing incredibly detailed uh, diagrams. That has to be fundamentally what they're talking about. Romance, yeah, Jonathan, the the, the roar yeah. of the crowds, the, the sound of <laughs> sound of the leather of the ball, uh-huh. uh, all, all these things that they could have been talking about. Exactly, what it would be like to live in Brighton, that kind of thing. But exactly. uh, I, but I mean, it's, it's safe to say that if if Clough makes a bold statement or, or says something, then probably the opposite is true. <laughs> uh, but um, well, and on that, I mean, the whole thing about Trevor Francis, you know, signed him for a quid less than a million pounds, yet. You, you dig into it, and it was slightly over a million pounds. Uh, but anyway, I mean that obviously. No, that's a it's, a it's one of it's a weird thing I don't understand in football history. Yeah, that so I mean supposedly when Manchester United signed Tommy Taylor from Bar- Barnsley, I think uh, they they paid twenty nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine because they didn't want him to be the first thirty thousand pound player. Hmm. It's just I, I just don't understand why. <laughs> why yeah, well, not? What's the problem? Uh, I mean, I think the great story with Francis is um, the Midlands football writers, had, 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 when Francis was still at, uh, at Birmingham, had named him their player of the season and Clough gave him the award. And Francis walks onto the stage at this event with his hands in his pockets and Clough bollocks him. And Francis responds to go, sorry, sir, and take his hands out of his pockets. <laughs> and then, you know, two months later, he's signing him for a million quid. Yeah, around about a million quid. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> Of course, didn't play in this, this semi-final tie, which we should we should talk about. But the first leg, a very entertaining game at the City Ground, ends three all. Uh, Forest, you were two nil down. They came back. They were three two up, and then and then three three. So it was, uh, I suppose, nicely poised. Really, you would you would say, but with three away goals from Köln, you know, who who were favourites because if, if, to go through because as as I understand it. By this point in the European Cup, some of the big sides have gone out. The likes, well, obviously Liverpool at the hands of Forest, but Juventus, Real Madrid had gone out. So was it a case of the winner of this tie would be the favourite to go on and, and win the final? Yeah, I mean, very much so. Malmo were sort of, no, you know, uh, not particularly uh, entertaining or good team. The, the, I mean, it's... it's, it's, it's Cole were, were the favourites, though, as they'd won the German double the previous year. But... This is one one of the kind of examples of um, Clough and Taylor's sort of tactics, uh, and I mean that in sort of in terms of preparation rather than tactics on the field went wrong because um, Taylor basically so he he'd gone to watch Cohn play the week before um, the first leg, and he basically said. These are shite lads. We'll, you know, we're gonna we're, we're gonna beat them easily. There was a, there's a story about him sat with the team. Um, watching the Cohen players arrive at the city ground and basically picking, pointing at every player and saying, well, he's no good. But it was like, it was like Tony Schumacher and Bernd Schuster, a very young Bernd Schuster and Dieter Muller, who'd been, I think, Bundesliga top scorer the past the previous couple of seasons. And he was basically saying, well, he can't catch a cold and he's shot, he's no good, nothing to worry about with that guy. 
Um, so and, and and you know he told all the players in a pre-match meal, oh, I'll have double, I'll have pudding, you'll be fine. They, you know, they, these these lot are useless. Um, and uh, you know, cut to twenty minutes into the game, and uh, uh, Colm would tune it up, and all the Forest players' heads were spinning. Yeah, <laughs> but it was, a, I mean, an entertaining game nonetheless, Jonathan. Yeah, and they did come back. I mean, you know, it's. Um... Yeah, Clough and Dale have been famous for relaxing their players before big games. So the, you know the, the League Cup final this year, uh, where they beat Southampton, you know, famously the night before the game, they get to the hotel and there's huge, you know, there's there's a crate of champagne and there's jugs of orange juice, and, and when um, John O'Hare says oh, I don't like champagne, Clough orders twelve pints of bitter, and you know I did you know get them pissed, and then they're not thinking about about the game. Um, even the Liverpool away game, supposedly they went out for lunch before the game and got through several bottles of Shabley between them. So with all these sort of um, tactics, the, um, they're, they're all sort of nonsensical. None of them are, are right or wrong, and they're judged entirely by whether they work or not. And the great example of that is uh, Derby beat Spurs, so when Clough's manager of Derby, in a League Cup game, I guess it must be 72 or 73. And it goes to extra time. It's at White Hart Lane. And after 90 minutes, Clough doesn't move from the bench. And Derby going to win it in extra time. Every single paper the next day is the genius of Clough. He knew they had the game in hand. He didn't need to give them any more instructions. So he didn't get involved. Kept them calm. And then the 1991 FA Cup final, Forrest against Spurs, 1-1 after 90 minutes. Clough doesn't leave the bench. Terry Venables is there giving instructions, cheering everybody up. Spurs going to win it. And Clough's shocked because he, he hasn't been, yeah, you know, he, he somehow hasn't had the, the will, the, the kind of the, 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 the mental fortitude to go and give more instructions. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, these things are always, yeah, nonsense. Um, but yeah, probably on this occasion, it did over relax the players and they, or maybe maybe Köln would have scored twice anyway. We, who knows? Hmm. Well, the second leg, the, the, the match in question, of course, Nick was a very different affair. Obviously, well, they, they, they did keep up the same sort of um, mm-hmm. rhetoric. I mean, Taylor sort of said, "You know, we lost. You know, we we didn't win that because of individual mistakes. There's a couple of individuals who are entirely to blame for this." Um, and I'm, I'm pretty sure he's looking at Larry Lloyd when he's saying that. Or <laughs> um, well, Shilton for the third goal. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, there's no reason why he would have done, but the, um, the, the <laughs> I shouldn't laugh; it's terrible. But the uh, pretty much every paper the next day goes with the forest sunk by Japanese subline, uh. which is just so sort of characteristic of the times. Um, but anyway, uh, that um, for those who don't know, the, the Japanese sub yeah, came uh, o- 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 came o- o- for o- o- the bench o- and, o- and o- scored o- the equaliser to make a three-three. Mm-hmm. Um, and and yeah, Taylor uh, had a thousand pound bet on Forrest to, to win the the second leg. So and he, I think he said that they, they would, Köln wouldn't be a top half side if in the, in the first division. Yeah, he he upgraded before the game. He said they were a Midland League side, and then you know he upgraded them to sort of bottom half of the first division after the three three draw. There's also the, the, straight after the first leg. Clough gave an absolute sensational interview to I, I read somewhere it was Gary Newbomb, which I, I didn't realize, but. He's he's sort of it's very odd because he's sort of sat down somewhere and his body the interviewer is to his left and his body's kind of angled to the right hand side and then the camera's in the middle 
So the interviewer asks him questions and he sort of gives his answers sort of half distractedly. And a lot of them where he's looking straight down the barrel of the camera and the kind of the final line of it was he, he just had a little smirk on his face and looked directly down the barrel of the camera and said, I do hope anybody's not stupid enough to write us off. And then kept like direct eye contact with the, <laughs> the, the viewers at home just to sort of reinforce the point. And again, it's, you know, it's, it's this, this could all be sort of, um, you know, post hoc justification afterwards, but the players have said subsequently that that and what Clough and Taylor said after the game is what sort of inspired them and motivate them for the second leg. Mm. And those interviews, they, they, they just like nothing you get today. I mean, and when Austin Mitchell died, which when we're recording this was, was it last week or earlier this week? It was, la- it was last week, I think, yeah. Recently. Uh, and obviously yeah, there's the famous Austin Mitchell with, with Clough and, and Revy after Clough's been sacked by Leeds. But I, I hadn't seen till 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 he died the um, the clip of the show on calendar when Clough gets the Leeds job, and there's Austin Mitchell and three journalists, and it's it's sort of half an hour of mesmeric television, where these three journalists are all incredibly well briefed. They're asking really tough questions, and Clough is sort of yeah, sort of eighty percent batting them away. But the journalists are landing some punches. It's just the level of discourse. Yeah. The, the eloquence of all, well, all five people, including Austin Mitchell, the, the wit of all five of them, mm. it's just incredibly good TV. And you oh, say, yeah. I, don't, I don't understand when, like these days, when we, we know so much more about television, we know how these things work. How can we not create something that looks like that and sounds like that? Mm, but maybe we should, Jonathan. We should, we should. <laughs> A meeting for after the podcast, perhaps. Uh, but yes, going back to this this match, we you talk about, you know, Clough not interested in tactics and we're sort of bit of bluster but it is interesting because it does end one nil but it is the same intensity you know it's a bit of back and forth are you surprised really that it does end one nil because one can think on paper that forest okay they 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 they, they go to germany that they're, they're going to play a bit cagey hit them on the break and kind of try and snuff out the attack and of course in the latter stages of the game that's what that's what happened oh, not not necessarily su- surprised because this is it's kind of what the 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 thing that people generally sort of remember about or or say about Brian Clough's teams, particularly Forest, is you know very nice team, passing football, attractive football, play football the right way, all that kind of thing. But one of the things that defined the sort of biggest games or the sort of most significant games of that, particularly of that era, were just sort of really sort of dogged slightly grim defensive displays a lot of the time so the, i mean the second leg against liverpool in the first round um the the game where they won the league against coventry the previous season particularly the 1980 final were sort of fairly kind of grim and uh you know dogged defensive the performances by Forrest and you know like you said sort of i mean the, the goal was from a corner but it was it came from a from a counter attack um, so that it, it wasn't I don't think it was particularly surprising because that, that's kind of what one of the things that this Forest team did and did very well mm. so I think that's a really interesting point you raise because I and I don't know what you think as a Forest fan but my my sort of sense of this is that when Taylor leaves when when that bus stop happens the nature of Forest changes and so before he goes they're willing to to, to sign players like Larry Lloyd and Kenny Burns and, and even Robertson to a difficult character, or characters who have in some way failed before and, and they, you know, they, they need to be rehabilitated. 
And then later in the eight, by the mid mid eighties, Clough's picking his his nice young men with the side partings who would make ideal son in laws. And it's almost like he's gone for niceness as a substitute for silverware. And they do win silverware, obviously, you know, the League Cups. But they're not really challenging for the big things. And part of that's financial. But I also think he, he stopped doing what had made Forrest great. And I wonder whether he needed Taylor to do that. Yeah, I mean, the the, the thing that they always said was that Taylor spotted the players or spotted the talent and then Clough moulded them into what, what he wanted. But yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, the, 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 even the, the key players in that sort of late 80s team uh, like you know Des Walker and Stuart Pierce Stuart Pierce for all Stuart Pierce was sort of a you know a, a, a hard man on the pitch he he wasn't a, a enormously difficult character off it he and he he was um most of the players that were key in that era were signed by Clough very young and then he rather than you know people like Larry Lloyd or Kenny Burns who um had been around the block and just even needed... Archie Gemmell you know had a reputation as being I mean he was, yeah. was teetotal but he had a reputation of being difficult yeah I mean yeah well I mean Archie Gemmell uh, as a sort the, the ultimate example of that when he wasn't picked for the finals sort of stormed off and never played for the club again he did then go back come back to to be on Clough's coaching staff but yeah, that 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 late eighties team, it wasn't quite you know Graham Souness's team of son-in-laws that, that he, he said about Arsenal, but it it wasn't sort of far off. There was you know Pierce and Des Walker and obviously Nigel, um, and yeah, you you, you people like Steve Hodge right. and yeah, n- none none of whom you would say were you know needed to have their kind of wild personalities reined in. Yeah, and I guess the other thing that sort of leads to Forrest's decline. And this is something that sort of crops up this season. So uh, I think it's the day of the home leg of the Grasshoppers game in the quarterfinal. The announcement's made that they're going to spend two and a half million pounds on a new 8,000 seat stand. And that's allied to some bad signings. Uh, Peter Ward, uh, Ian Wallace, sort of scuppers Forrest financially for three or four years. And, And I think that, combined with Taylor going, just sort of drags the level down. They can't ever really quite get back. And it was part of the part of the reason they broke up the 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 team so, you know, prematurely quickly. They they I think they probably thought that they could sell sell off the big players and then just do what exactly what they'd done before, find someone from somewhere and uh, you know re- repeat the the process again. And then that when that didn't work, they had to start spending million pounds on on Ian Wallace and Justin Fashnew and uh, I think yeah, Fashnew obviously the other one of those those three mm-hmm. who failed. Yeah. I mean Fashnew obviously is a bit more complicated, but but yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean I, yeah, this this issue of, of the ground. Um so Clough for the I think it's the Grasshoppers game, uh he he doesn't allow live radio broadcasts from the ground because he, he wants fans in because he thinks that's the best way to, to, to raise revenues. The uh, When Forrest win the quarterfinal of the League Cup, rather than the back page of the post next day being you know, celebratory of we're in the League Cup semi-final, it's if crowds don't improve, we're not going to build a new stand for you. So this this rumbling in the background, this issue that crowds aren't quite big enough, the cluffs looking looking beyond, wanting more, wanting more, is sort of rumbling there in the background all through this season. Mm. The point Nick made about the the doggedness, yeah. which is how, how I led onto this sort of digression, and I think it is actually similar to the final the following year against Hamburg, 
And maybe that's something to, to do with it being against a German team. Maybe you can play against them a certain way. But the thing that strikes me about that final, mm-hmm. uh, it was a really interesting dynamic between Brian Moore and Jack Charlton, who were doing the commentary together. And Brian Moore is panicking constantly uh, because Hamburg have a lot of the ball. They spend a lot of the time in the first half. And Jack Charlton, who I think in the late 70s, early 80s, is the greatest co-commentator in the history of football. <laughs> He's just sort of going, nah, they're fine. Forest aren't going to concede. Unless, unless a 30-yard shot goes in the top corner, they're fine. And the longer it goes on, the more you realize, yeah, he's absolutely right. I mean, obviously, mm. I, I knew the result before, <laughs> before I watched that game. <laughs> but Forest are just holding them sort of 35, 40 yards from goal. And to beat Shilton from that range, it has to be something exceptional. And Shilton, I think, is really, really good at organizing a defense. And his, his second autobiography is one of the worst autobiographies in history. It's, very, it's worth reading. Because I can't think of any other autobiography where I've gone in with a neutral view of a man and come out thinking <laughs> quite badly of him. His first one is really, which I think comes out in like 1980 or 81. Must, actually, it must be 81 because it's after the two European Cups. And it's really, really good on goalkeeping. And there's, there's stuff in there where he says, it's some of my best games where I haven't touched the ball because I've organized the defense so well. And I think you really see that in this game and the Hamburg game that. Forests are incredibly well organized and the opposition have loads of the ball, but they're not actually hurting them. And the problem is that I, th- I think today we're, we're a bit savvier. We sort of understand the idea that you can control a game without the ball. But back then, that was quite a. Yeah, that just wasn't how people thought. And so commentators were very anxious whenever the opposition had the ball. And actually, if you look at it, you know, there's, there's what, two half chances for Köln before the. Before Forrest take the lead, there's the mm. um, there's a chance where well, Miller, Miller had, turns Larry Lloyd. Yeah, it's a pretty decent chance. Actually, Shilton makes a very good save. Low goal kick's given. Mm-hmm. It's you know he, he, he it's sort of a break and he, you know, he spins Lloyd, runs beyond him, and Lloyd gets a bit, a bit too tight to him. And then the shot is it might just be drifting wide anyway, but Shilton makes a very good low save to his right. And then there's the um, Kanopka cross from the right, which everybody sort of leaves and. Suddenly you think, oh, Christ, it might be drifting in and, and it does just drift wide at the far post. But they're not sort of, it's not sort of sustained pressure. Mm. It, and yeah. it, sh- it should be the, the, the Dieter Muller chance that you mentioned there. Uh, I, I, I think saying that Lloyd got a bit, little bit too close to him is generous. I think he tried to take him out, missed, yeah. and then rectified, I believe, rectified that quite soon afterwards. <laughs> hit, hit, hit Muller with a bit of a reducer and I think Muller had to go off um, which you know helped for us chances rather that's right yeah he went off five minutes before half time for Hans yeah. Fleur yeah yeah uh, and obviously you, you you spoke about it earlier uh, Nick but the one goal was enough and it was it was Boya who sort of headed in for, uh, unmarked from a flick on from a corner uh, but of course there was still a lot of work to do because a one all draw would have been okay for, for, for Köln but it was that defensive performance that kind of um, kept them out and then Onto the final, and it would be uh, that man Trevor Francis who came into the side <laughs> and, and got the winning goal. Yeah, I mean, and uh, the defensive performance uh, that um, would have been—I think the goal was just after an hour, so there's half an hour of. Um, it wasn't quite a siege, but the, the Köln were definitely kind of, you know, the, the, had more attacks. And my um, my dad always—he uh, he was he was at this game, and uh, he always likes to tell the story of having to physically restrain one of the mates uh, who went with him from leaving because his mate couldn't cope with the tension. He, he was, <laughs> he, he just, 
his head was exploding and they had to sort of grab him and keep him in place. Um, but yeah, I, I think afterwards... there's only really that one chance, isn't it? There? There's a long range Kanopka shot, which, which Chilton makes, makes a very good save and then reacts really quickly to, to grab the rebound. But apart from that, I'm not sure there's any. There's a proper real... goldmouth scramble, which there, could there go is anywhere. a real a proper scramble. Yeah, uh, okay, the, yeah, the, yeah. So, so some of the players did say afterwards, "Ah, oh, we're you know we we weren't that bothered really, we weren't that fussed." But you know, if you were there and you were kind of <laughs> you know living through it, I think that that's a, it'd be quite a generous description of it. Yeah, indeed. Uh, the only thing, I, other thing I was going to add is is that uh, it may have been more common back then. But where were the dugouts? It just looked like they were sitting on plastic chairs. The man, yeah. Was. It's just a sensational pictures of um, yeah. of Clough and and only Clough and Taylor. Even I, yeah. I don't know where the where the subs were or where no Jimmy idea. Jimmy Gordon, the trainer, or anyone like that were. Just those two seemed seemingly sat on this kind of uh-huh. sort of part athletics track around the municipal stadium. Well, the great stadium thing is, they're sitting on those sort of plastic chairs you used to have an assembly at school. <laughs> exactly, it's just the whole thing looks so sort of tin pot. It's just magnificent. The, the only there was, was, was just one thing I was going to say about the the goal as well, if. Um, um, it's a cor- corner from the left. Um, John Robertson take, takes it with his, his right foot. Um, there's a cone player, and I'm not sure who it was, who is doing the kind of standing 10 yards away from it's kind of the sort of mini wall. And just before Robertson runs up to take it, take it he sort of looks at the, the, the Hamburg, at uh, the uh, cone player and points sort of over his shoulder as it, he's and he's kind of doing the your shoelaces are untied thing the cone player looks around over his right shoulder and <laughs> Robertson then takes the corner as, <laughs> as the as the defender is looking the other way and then it's it, it's you know flicked on near post by Gary Bertles and then uh, Ian Bowyer sort of it looks like he sort of slightly misheads it he's kind of unmarked about five yards out um, and you know it's it's while Trevor Francis the you know million pound player scores the winner in the final uh, one of the other reasons I picked this game is that the winner was scored by Boyer, who was one of the five players who was there when Clough arrived in the um, in the when Forest were in the second division, who went on to to win you know uh, win the European Cup and um, you know he he was just this player who was uh, he he quite literally played in every position. There was a game uh, a couple of years before where he Bowyer had to play in goal for for a half after the goalkeeper got injured. Um, and you know in the first leg he played at left back, or he started the game at left back. And uh, in this game he was in midfield where he would usually play. But he but he's crucial kind of... in that first leg, isn't he? Because Gemmell gets injured, so Frank yeah. Clark comes on. So Frank Clark goes to left back and he moves in midfield, and that is actually what starts the comeback. There's a there's a, um, a a forest writer and I should probably say a very good friend of mine called David Marples who wrote a book about uh, Forest called The History Boys um, and he describes Boya in in that as the heartbeat and the moral anchor of the team which I thought was a, a lovely description. Yeah, well another book we started on a book we finished on a book. Yeah, but buy mine, that? not that one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Buy, buy both of them. Treat yourself. Okay, okay. yeah, yeah. They are. You can, yeah, you you can do that. Um, and of course, you know Jonathan's book is long, but of course, I believe Jonathan that your publisher said to you after um, your your book, which you 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 said was quite a long read. Your publisher said, uh, Jonathan, you're the best long storyteller in the country, and you said, thank you, I'm the best short one too. Very good. Channeling the great man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Feel free to edit that out, Ryan. Uh, Nick, it's been fantastic talking to you about uh, Briar Clough. It really has. It's always enjoyable talking about the great man. Thank you very much for coming on the pod. Thank you very much for inviting me. 
Uh, and I say Briarclough, it was about Nottingham Forest as well. You see, that's what happens with Clive. <laughs> all ultimately uh, it ends uh, uh, talking about him. But there we are. For more stories like that, do check out theblizzard.co.uk. Um, myself and Jonathan will be back next week with another great game from football. See you then. Bye.